selected by Horseman Chuck Simon to become a sponsor. To suggest topics or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com and log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Hello, everyone. It's uh, Tuesday. Welcome to Going in Circles Live. We um, we have a guest uh, coming up in a little bit, Tom Law from the Saratoga Special. Tom is an old friend of mine, and he does a great job uh, covering Saratoga, especially, and, and racing in general for a really great publication that uh, the Clancy Brothers put out, uh, the Saratoga Special, which is now in its 20th year, which is which is a, a, a real achievement. Uh, I remember <laughs> I was one of their, uh, their original sponsors, so they've sure come a long way since then. But um, it's, a, it's a really great publication, and they've kind of had to pivot a little bit because of the COVID situation. It, it, it's, uh, we don't see a lot of um, magazines, newspapers, uh, paper that you hold in your hand anymore. And they put out a great paper um, during the Saratoga meet on a daily basis and uh, with things so um, different this year with uh, a lot less people chipping in, uh, with no fans, with owners not being around, just uh, because of that. They have gone to a um, a digital a digital um, paper a couple days a week, and we'll talk to Tom about that. Um, certainly, Saratoga was the focal point of the racing world this past weekend with the Travers held in the beginning of August as a derby prep, which is certainly something that. Uh, is unprecedented, and Tis the Law's performance was um, nothing short of spectacular as he just dominated a field he should dominate, but the authoritative manner in which he won, just the ease, uh, it certainly answered questions about his ability to get a mile and a quarter, about his handiness, um, he just was galloping out there. And everybody else was was pushing, going into the final turn, and Manny Franco was was taking another hold, and it was just a a really really um, breakout performance for a horse that hasn't lost in a long time. Um, It it really stamps him as the, the he was the big favorite going into this race for the Derby, but this coming out of it. He's even a larger favorite, and Art Collector kind of held serve on Sunday at Ellis Park in winning the Ellis Park Derby, and uh, it, it was a it was a good. The horse ran well. I cannot criticize him. The, the The speed figures came back pretty good. He went to the lead, which is probably the thing to do in a in a bulky field like that with. I would say half the field really wasn't serious contenders, and you just don't want to wind up in traffic trouble or 
getting run into by a horse that doesn't belong there. But um, he won nicely. And I have to imagine, unless one of these California horses uh, winds up being a wise guy type horse that gets a lot of late buzz, you would have to think the art collector would be the second choice. Maybe uh, Honor AP would still get a little bit of consideration with the idea that Sheriffs didn't really have him cranked up in his last race, and he certainly got less than an ideal trip. Um, though it's it's you're still wondering is a mile and a quarter his best distance? We don't know that. Um, certainly, tis the law has has already answered that question, and his resume going into the Derby this year is as solid as. About as solid as it certainly could be. Um, it's not though as though he he's really um, done anything to make you think that he shouldn't be a a, a big favorite. I, I believe I read today that Point Given was the last horse under two to one in the Derby because the Derby has a a twenty horse field and there's no race in this country that's run that has more. Uh, quote-unquote dumb money, people that don't follow racing, people that bet names, people that bet numbers, then the Kentucky Derby. So certainly the money is spread out, and in order to get to um, an odds-on situation, there has to be a frightening amount of money bet on a horse to win. And the future book, the last future book wager through uh, through the Churchill Downs uh, website um, was was Sunday, and um, and uh, tis the law is a is an even money favorite right now in the future book, and you don't get refunded in the future book. So if he doesn't run, if something were to happen, if he were to have to scratch, then you you lose your money. So there's a lot of money bet on this horse at even money with people thinking that. He's going to be less than even money on Derby Day. And there's a good possibility that um, that there's less than the usual 20 in the gate. Um, Jay uh, Privman wrote about that today. And his uh, he was going through the potential horses and... It, it looks like the top three from the Travers, probably the top three from the Ellis Park Derby, probably the top two from the Haskell, um, some combination of the top two or three from the Shared Belief, and a couple, you know, real long shot type of flyer type horses. But um, it, it probably... I talked about it on the podcast with Barry last night about... How will the uh, the effect of the COVID situation and the general situation in, in the city of Louisville affect the derby participation from the angle of if you're running a long shot in the derby and you're an owner and maybe you've, this is your first time doing it, you go there and you have, uh, there's parties, there's galas, there's news conferences, there's all kinds of reporters, you get interviewed, you become... Um, 
a, a, a semi-celebrity, even if you're running a 30 or 40 to 1 shot in the race because of the the, the massive amount of media attention and, and all of the um, the surrounding um, hubbub over the Derby, that this year is probably not going to be taking place. Um, the city of Louisville has had a lot of issues with unrest, with protests, with with things of that nature. There's been a, an official call to, to boycott the Derby from groups in Louisville. It's It's been a couple weeks now since they were announced, and, and there really hasn't been much news about that. Um, but it, it, it's a factor, and certainly there will likely be some sort of protests uh, before the Oaks, during the Oaks Derby as well. Um, I don't know what, what kind of... I, I don't really know how to quantify this, but... This year, if you're running a 40-to-1 shot in the Derby, nobody cares about you. <laughs> no one's going to interview, and, and you're not going to get attention. You're not going to get invited to, to too many parties. And I don't know how many people are going to be there on Derby Day. I know that they were saying 50-75. to 75, And six weeks ago, Marty McGee and I talked about this on this very show, that we didn't see how that was possible. And last week, there was kind of something floated out by Churchill that the state wanted to go over plans with them about the amount of people and it's been very very quiet so i would guess that that number of 50,000 people would be would be likely considerably less considering the the uh, situation in the country with with covid and uh the fact that you're going to have people coming from the derby from all over the place and there's been a couple really valid questions that have been made by people. Uh, if you're going to make the jockeys quarantine for a period of time, and then you're just going to let people fly in and show up the next day, um, how was how was that going to really work? And I don't know. I don't. I don't really have any answers. I don't know that anyone really has any answers at this point. But it certainly is. is is going to affect the Derby. And the Derby, of all the races that we have in this country, the Derby is not just a horse race. Most horse races are just horse races. And maybe it's the biggest rated race in the meet, or maybe it's a, 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 a historic grade one race. The Arlington Million is always a, a, a big event at Arlington Park, and it really sucks that, um, that Arlington Park doesn't have much longer to go because it's a great event, and it was fun. But... The people in downtown Chicago had zero idea that the Arlington Million was being held most years. And outside of Keeneland and, and Saratoga and, and uh, Del Mar to a, a lesser degree, we don't get the the um, the cultural event that the Kentucky Derby is. It, if you live in Kentucky, if you've ever spent any time in Kentucky, you, it... it Derby Week is is as popular in Kentucky as Christmas is everywhere else. Everybody pays attention to it. There's no school on Oaks Day. There's um, it, it's just um, it, it it the whole city, the whole state, um, kind of stops to run that race, and it's bigger than just a, a horse race. 
But this year, it is more of just a horse race. And with a prohibitive favorite coming in from New York, with a horse that raced in the Midwest and in Kentucky that's, that's been beating everybody up, you're having a really hard time coming up with horses outside of the top seven or eight that have really any prayer. And I know there's been talk about um, about Gamhine running in the Derby, and it's just pathetically ridiculous. Yes, she's a really good horse, but she's a filly that's been going one turn. Her last two races were at a mile and then back at seven-eighths. And to think that she would be running in the Derby at a mile and a quarter off of those races and that kind of... Um, preparation is is just silly the, the, the truth is it's asking a lot of her to go a mile and an eighth off of that seven ace race um it's it's not to me in my eyes not the given that she's going to win the kentucky dirt or oaks that that everyone seems to think it is because there's some pretty good fillers out there and two turn races have completely different dynamics than one turn races and it's um a mile and an eighth is, is also not a mile and a sixteenth. So she's going to have to to run to win the Kentucky Oaks. It's not going to be a walkover by any means. But to think that she could run in the Kentucky Derby at a mile and a quarter, especially against a horse like Tis the Law, just is... I mean, it's, I, I know sometimes when, in sports we get these scenarios, you know, who's better, Who? what if this guy did that or what if this guy did this but it's it's kind of silly to think that Camine would be a, a realistic derby contender even in this bizarre first week of September derby year but um there's not really much going on unfortunately uh for the next couple of weeks and um we're gonna have a as we always do every year, we're going to have an overload of Derby analysis, and we're going to hear about Tesla Law's one, one loss on that Churchill Downs track 4,000 times, and um, there just isn't a whole lot to, to analyze other than other than that. So, uh, And I believe we have our, our guest, uh, a special guest, Mr. Tom Law. Tom, are you there? Chuck, how are you, my friend? Very, very good, Mr. Law. Very good. How How is everything up there at the spa? Uh, everything's good. Everything's good. I uh, I apologize if I was uh, tardy getting uh, getting online today. I had my phone in the other room, and I was uh, pouring over my keyboard and, and working on an article for tomorrow's edition. Do not, uh, not, do, do not apologize. A good excuse. Do yeah. not apologize at all. Casey can tell you I walked in here at 159. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah. So I, I big, I, I big at my own show, but <laughs> yeah. Um, if you could work for us, for sure. Uh, you know how we, and you know how we do things. So <laughs> you guys do things the way it's supposed to be done uh, on the cuff. <laughs> but well, uh, uh, a lot of times it feels that way <laughs> for sure. Uh, I was, I just talked briefly in the beginning about um, about how it's the twentieth year and. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I remember the first year, um, I was one of the initial sponsors of the show. <laughs> I, re- I remember Sean was like, hey, you know, do you think? I was like, yeah, 
course, sure, no problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he he actually put me in his book. I think I think it was the first book he wrote. I, I was a chapter. I was like chapter seven. Yeah, I know. Saratoga Days. Saratoga Days. That's right. You know, it's funny. Yeah. I, I I moved recently, and I lug around like a library of Congress full of books. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of you know and i like i just can't get rid of them it just kills me to get rid of them and um i was looking for that book and i can't find it it's somewhere oh, no. it's somewhere in this this massive um i have all these plastic containers that they're in so it's in there somewhere but uh i was i was actually looking for it and i couldn't find it and um i wanted to show somebody because i said you know I, yeah. I've been in a book. They're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, they wrote a whole chapter about me. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I want to yeah. see that. I said, all right, I'll show it. And, of course, you know, that's the worst thing to happen. Whenever you say, oh, yeah, I'll show it to you, then you never can find it. But, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yes, I, I was in, in Mr. Clancy's book. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and, the next time you're in town, uh, go to Lyrical Ballad. He usually has a bigger uh, he and John, the, the owner, former owner, he passed away, but his wife's still running the store. They always have copies of it there. In fact, uh, I ran into somebody a few weeks ago, and they said that they had bought one. So, really? <laughs> Sean is still, uh, maybe he's getting those, uh, you know, 50-cent royalty checks. You know, <laughs> <again>. <laughs> sales oh, yeah. of his book. I'm not exactly sure how <laughs> how book sales work. I haven't, I haven't written a book myself, although uh, sometimes at the end of the Saratoga meet, I feel like I've, I've written enough for a few books. Well, you know, it's it's funny because um, I, I wrote a little piece about the chief the other day for uh, an online website, and uh, a guy said, you know, you should write a book, and I, and I said, uh, I said, listen, I'm wildly unqualified to write a book, <laughs> but um, you know, the, you think about like when when I was working for him, I, I remember I told. Um, Steve Haskin, I said, you should come over here every day with two beers, mm. one for you, one for him. I said, you don't even have to drink it. Just open it and take a sip. So he thinks you're drinking it. And just, you could write a book on, on 30 days worth of stories that he's going to tell you. Oh, yeah. And, you know, sometimes I, I think that, um, like, I'm a big, big proponent that we don't do nearly enough to bring the history of the sport back and, and to pay attention to it and, and i think there's a lot of great horses and great stories great races uh, great people that that we've kind of um overlooked and i had mm-hmm. brian bouye on the show a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about uh some of the things that they were doing over at the hall of fame and, and some of the interactive um they were going to update the each person and horse uh, who's in the hall of fame with an interactive plaque which i think is a great idea and he was saying about talking about how difficult it was for some of the people just to find videos that um are are clear enough to use uh, of Mm -hmm. certain Mm -hmm. horses and it's not necessarily the horses from 1940 that that you're having trouble finding it some of it's the horses from the 70s and yeah which is amazing, right? It, it yeah. really is. I was trying to find a. I won a race at Churchill Downs in two thousand four, two thousand three. Mm-hmm. The, the the Churchill Downs handicap on Derby Day, and I was trying to mm-hmm. find a a video of it on YouTube, and and there's none. There's no video wow. of that race. They have the year before, they have the year after, but they don't have that year. Uh, 
YouTube probably can't believe that I won a, I won that race, but um, it was uh, it's frustrating sometimes being that um, the history of the business, the history of horse racing, is really that the two mediums that we can all kind of um, understand is is watching video of races, watching a race, and having the past performances. If you look at PPs, it's way it's our way. It's it's like us looking at stats on a baseball player. Uh, we can yeah. compare eras. I mean, obviously, there's huge differences, but at least you have that that PP that you're used to looking for with the the track and the distance and the track surface and the the, the fractions or some of the fractions, the final time, the running lines, who the horse ran against, the jockey, and and that's what we're used to looking at. And and I think that it's it's um it's difficult for me to imagine that we don't have a whole lot. Of that prior to 1992 on Equibase, I mean, yeah. 1992, <laughs> like my yeah, whole, not that long ago. No, right, right. it's not, and uh, it's um, it's something when you're at Saratoga. I think it's especially you're cognizant of the history just by walking in that place. It feels like, hey, you know, a guy walked in here 75 years ago and didn't feel that much different. I mean, there was no Shake Shack, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it's it's still it. When you look at that grandstand, you just get that feeling of, of being somewhere that a lot of other people have been for a long, long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it's an amazing place. And, you know, we grew up here, so I guess maybe we're a little spoiled by it. But, you know, I, I and this year has been different and, and challenging and, and strange and, you know, choose whatever word you want to use. I feel like I've used them all and exhausted them to friends that have asked me about what it's like and family and things like that. But, you know, I, I still catch myself every now and again, uh, just kind of walking around doing my work and I'm in the back stretcher at the Oklahoma and I maybe, you know, just pause just for a few minutes and just kind of like look at the grandstand or clubhouse and just kind of look at the track, watch the horses go and just kind of just think to myself, man, like this is just like, I'm, this is just an amazing place. You know, like how lucky am I that I actually, you know, get to be here, um, you know, in the mornings and, and, and see the horses and see the horse people who, you know, become friends of mine or people that you've known now for, for years that you, you see like every day during the summer or, you know, throughout the year at various places, you know, whether it's down at Gulfstream or at Keeneland or Churchill or out West. And, um, you know, it's, it's really, but, but you're right. The history of the place is just, I mean, I always, I've said it before. I said, well, without, our game has a lot of problems. One thing that we do have going for us is we have a great history. We have a great uh, tradition. If we don't have our history, what do we have sometimes? Um, Which maybe is a little bit of a pessimistic attitude, which I I don't typically have. But, you know, I mean, I I think, I don't think we should lose our, lose or forget our history. You know, there's, there's, there's so much rich history and, you know, somebody like the chief was, was so respectful of the history and, and learned it and, and understood it and, and could recite it. You know, you speak about, uh, talking about talking to him and having stories. Uh, Sean Clancy spent hours with the chief and has, uh, in his files, in his notes, 
just transcriptions, and he probably still has a recording um, of conversations that he had with the chief over the years. Um, an amazing library of stuff um, that I've actually seen, and it's uh, it's amazing. And I've actually gone and looked at some of the some of the things that he said. And, and, and I, you know, people tell me stuff all the time, and I'm a, I like to consider myself a good journalist, so I, I, I fact check it, and, uh, you know, a lot of times it's wrong from various people, but with the Chief, man, I mean, he was remembering stuff like in the 40s and 50s, and he remembered it down to the letter, and that was, <laughs> that's amazing to me, that, that, that these interviews were done by Sean, you know, in the mid-2000s, probably. Or early 2010, 2011, stuff like that. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I've, I guess I've gone on a tangent, but, you know, you, you, I know that he was somebody that was obviously very near and dear to you, but, uh, you know, somebody that's in the racing business like me, uh, you know, he, he was near and dear to me without even really knowing him, uh, just, just for what he represented and, and, and what he achieved. I tell you, he, he would be talking about some horse. And he would start rattling off the pedigree. Yeah, he was by Johnstone out of, you know, so this mare and that mare. She was she was a pretty fast mare, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and, and then he would say, where the hell are my keys? I can't find my keys. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's, I'm sad, it's sad to say I, I do the same thing all the time now. I mean, I don't remember ah. quite, quite as good as I used to. Last night I couldn't remember the name Harlan's Holiday. Oh, but, um... Yeah. He was, uh, yeah, I was telling a story about, uh, I ran a race at, at River Downs, and um, Pete Johnson, who would work for Sonny Hine, had, and Sonny had passed, and Pete came to work for me, and, and we were over at River, and I, I was at Saratoga, and back then, we couldn't get the PPs readily like we can on our phone here now, and, 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 and you know, in a matter of minutes, so I really didn't know who we were running against, and we had this one little bred he'd run... He'd run fourth first time out and um, at Churchill in like a maiden 25. And he ran good, probably got be four or five lengths. And figuring, well, he'll, he'll move up off that race. We'll run him into this Ohio bred race. It's a little 40, yeah. $50,000 stake. And, you know, he, he should be able to hit the board. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll win the race. And I was up there and, and they couldn't get it on TV in the racing office because, you know, usually mm-hmm. in the racing office, Saratoga, they can. They can dial up just about any, any track that's running. But for some reason, I don't yeah. know if there was a storm or whatever, we couldn't get it. So, Pete calls me up a little bit after the race is over. He, he said, yeah, we finished fourth. We got beat about 10. And I'm like, we got beat about 10? Like, who the hell beat us 10? I'm telling you, Chuck, those, those two horses that ran in front of us, those are pretty good horses. I don't know about the horse who was third, but the first two were really good. So, I'm thinking, how good can they be? This is the Hoover Stakes, you know, and, like, yeah, yeah. and, and, and August and... <laughs> river downs and river. you know i'm thinking man you know this guy man he might he might have lost it but uh it turns out the winner was harlan's holiday <laughs> and the horse who second was a horse <laughs> named uss constitution who hollendorfer wound up with who who wound up winning the california derby which yeah. i think was a great yeah. three so yeah you know you're running this little highbred stake and you get you get trounced by the horse who's the favorite for the kentucky derby and another greatest stake winner so you, yeah. you, you never kind of do know exactly what's gonna what's going to happen and that's one of the great things about racing is is you get these horses that kind of come from nowhere and all of a sudden they're stars you know they're they're at the, yeah. the top of the game and 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 the, the stories like Tommy Drury who's a guy that only is training this horse 
art collector because of the COVID situation and the great uncertainty um, that they weren't sure where to send him because they weren't sure who was going to race. So he just stayed with Tommy and, yeah. and it, it's, it's to me, it's a great story. I mean, obviously the Barkley tag story is, is great. And I want to get into something else about Barkley a little later with you, but um, you know, this is a great story as well. And, and a guy that, that basically legs horses up for other trainers for bigger you know, outfits mm-hmm. gets a chance to train a good horse and shows that you know he can do it too and uh and i think sometimes the the, the modern owner the current owner the guys that's been in the game for 10 12 15 years that didn't didn't know the sport before when you would go into the belmont spring or fall meet or you'd come into the saratoga meet and and there'd be a half a dozen guys that could get hot and, and win the meet. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now it seems as though uh, everyone's been brainwashed into thinking only one or two guys can, can win. And it's just not true. I mean, Barkley Tag is doing what he's done um, with a 15-, 16-horse stable. And, mm-hmm. you know, Tommy Tommy's doing this with, uh, you know, a stable mostly full of rejects and when he finally does get a A-level horse, he puts in an A-level training performance, and he's going to the Derby as the solid second yeah. choice. And, uh, you know, you just hope that those lessons are are learned by, by people knowing that you don't have to send your horse to a, a trainer that has 250 other horses, that right. they're not doing anything different. They're not doing mm-hmm. anything special. And they're good trainers. I'm not saying they're not. They're all excellent trainers. Mm-hmm. But... Mm-hmm. A lot of training has more to do with the stock that you get than anything else. And I would yeah. say it's even greater than for a jockey because a jockey is a physical attribute. Uh, it's a physical job. It, it, there's certainly a mental aspect to it where uh, you, you know when to make the move, you know when not to make the move, you know when to go, you know when to stop, you know when to, you know, th- there's, there's certainly a, uh, an athletic part of that. Training has very little athletic part, as seen by the physiques of some of the best trainers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, about the only exercise they get is back and forth to the buffet. Yeah. But um, you know, when when you talk about um, about trainers, opportunity is that I was a much better trainer when I had good horses. <laughs> my horses weren't any good; my sucked. But yeah. <laughs> and there's this there's a fallacy too, Tom that that training good horses is harder, and that's absolutely positively not true it's, mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. not true it, it's it's good horses can do so much more if you want them and a lot of the best mm-hmm. horses if you want them to work fast they'll work fast if you want to slow them down mm-hmm. a little bit they'll slow down a little bit the the cheapest horses there's nothing you can do it doesn't matter what you do with them because in yeah. the end they just don't have the ability to do it like you could you could give me the greatest training the, the best hitting coach in america and I couldn't hit a ninety mile an hour fastball, or I could sure couldn't hit a curveball. To say I, I could, I could practice every day for twelve years, and I wouldn't be able mm-hmm. to do it because I don't have that ability. But yeah, but uh, training is is such a um, it's such a, a, a you're so affected by what you have in the stable. It's just like coaching. If you coach mm-hmm. a team full of guys that can't shoot. And you're probably not going to win a lot of games, and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and it's there, there's kind of a 
uh, <laughs> racing Twitter kind of has a, a, a weekly battle, a, a battle royale about something. And, and this week it seems to be, well, Green Grotto was uh, the, was the issue of the day on Sunday, but that's kind of going away now that he's back retired. But um, yeah, today's issue seems to be the owner of the runner-up in the test apparently gave Mr. Rosario uh, instructions in the paddock to send as fast mm. as he could go against Gamine. And uh-huh. as you watch the race, you see he didn't exactly do that. Yeah. So there is a big, you know, dust-up over... Um, and, and this is a good question, I, and I'll ask you this question. In your opinion, what responsibility does a jockey have to ride to the connections instructions? Mm. Because even though a jockey technically is our employee when they're riding for us, as at least in the, the eyes of the workman's comp people, yeah. Um, but they are kind of independent contractors, and they kind of run their own business, and you get into the situation of... There was a situation at Saratoga a few years back where uh, Chad Brown had two horses in a race. One was a prohibitive favorite. One was a long shot. And the long shot um, kind of wiped some horses out and allowed mm-hmm. the favorite to come up the inside, and none of the jockeys claimed foul. And <laughs> the sword dancer. Right? Yes, the sword dancer. Exactly. And, and the question then was, hey... Um, why didn't you claim foul? And, you know, one of the jockeys was, was open enough to answer. And he said, well, you know, I mean, it was only third or fourth, you know, difference between third or fourth money. And, uh, I don't, you know, I want to try to ride for that guy. I don't want to piss him off. Right. (laughs) And if you're the owner of the horse, you're like, well, shit, third and fourth money is a big, you know, it's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And, and, and and what do you think? I mean, like, what do you think the, the jockey's responsibility is in regards to instructions? It's inc- that that situation is incredibly tricky uh, with an owner who may have given the, the rider uh, instructions because, as you know, a lot of times the owner might also be involved in booking that jockey to ride that race, um, you know, mm-hmm. especially at a grade one, being like, hey, can we get, you know, XYZ rider? I hear he's open. Can we get him? And he's a guy that I like, and he might be, even be involved in talk to the agent everything so um and, and then that rider gets mixed signal i mean that's incredibly difficult position to put that rider in because he's going to be wrong no matter what right unless he were to win and then it's kind of like you know why did you uh you know why did you why did you quarterback sneak it instead of throwing it the play was to throw it but well i, I quarterback sneaked it into the end zone Okay, well, we'll forgive you now. We might we might cut you out at practice, uh, but in, it worked. In that case, it worked. Um, man, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, me being me, I'd be like, wait, who am I supposed to listen to? But I know that this is a limited amount of time and a limited space and and a, and a, and a, a unique situation when you're in the paddock, or you might even be he might even be already up on the horse. <laughs> Yeah. That's a trick one. Tricky one. I I don't have the answer to it. I I would 
I'd be like, I'd defer to the trainer on that one. Um, <laughs> there have been times. I would think that they should listen to the trainer probably because it, that's who they're going to end up having to deal with probably a lot more. Right. Um, you know, the next morning for sure and, and in other races down the road. <laughs> there, there have been times, and I, I will admit that, I've brought the jockey in in the morning and I've given him the instructions. I said, listen, this is kind of what I do. And I wasn't big on instructions. When I started, I was so spoiled. My main two riders were Pat Day and Jerry Bailey. And Mm -hmm. who am I, (laughs) you know, some (laughs) young punk training (laughs) when 12 races, I'm going to go in the paddock and tell Jerry Bailey how to ride the race. He probably isn't going to listen to me anyways. (laughs) But um, I I was... the money list all time. Yeah, right. I, I was very fortunate to ride those type of guys that... I mean, Jerry Bailey was as prepared as any jockey I've ever ridden before or since. In that he would he would know everybody in the race, and, and he would study. He, Jerry Bailey would have been a success at any job that he had had mm-hmm. had endeavored to do. Now, maybe he wouldn't have been a, a you know Hall of Fame person if he decided to be a dentist. I think his dad was a dentist, but um, mm-hmm. he would have been successful because he had he had that work ethic and and he was smart and he could see things and i remember one race in particular i was in saratoga and it was a two-turn race and uh you know something that's kind of rare these days but um we had a fillers allowance race of some sort and he had ridden a couple of the horses in the race and my horse i think i was like two to one three to one I, i was one of the favorites coming from kentucky and we got to the paddock and my horse was had shown speed in a couple races, had, had came off the pace in a couple races. And he comes in and he says, well, what do you think? And I said, you know, well, what do you think? And he said, uh, he, he went in about 30 seconds, did a dissertation on the entire field. He says, you know, I rode the one a couple starts back. She was getting out. Uh, she'll probably go to the lead. Uh, I rode this horse. Uh, you know, she has, she has trouble breathing. So it's a really hot day. I'm not that worried about this one, this one, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he, horses he had ridden and horses he had ridden against. He knew like he had everybody's uh, number. And he said, I think the best thing to do is break, try to get in position in the pocket behind these two horses. I think the one will get out probably at the quarter pole and, and I'll just sit chilly and, and, and wait for that hole to open and, and, uh, and go from there. And then the race goes, Almost exactly as he he had said it was going to go, and the horse goes to the lead, gets to the quarter pole, bears out, takes out the horse who was laying second. I, we come up the rail and win the race, and and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I could have told him, hey, go to the lead or do this or do that, but um, I think a lot of times well, there, there's a, there's so many cliches about it. Uh, if your rider needs instructions, and they probably can't follow him anyways, um, you know, so many things. Yeah. But I think that. The one thing that the consolidation of power has done, and and it's a big, big, big negative to me, is that you've made some outfits too, too, you know, like they call the banks, too big to fail, and yeah. you made some of these guys so strong. There's, they have so many horses, and they're always shipping out of town for races, and they always, and some of these big races have two, three horses, so it's not just their number one, number two jocks. There's going to be other mounts for them, and a lot of times, you put yourself in a in a position of like you said, it, it's a tricky situation for the jockey to un you know to to just go out there and burn his horse up trying to beat another guy's horse when it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to make logical sense, and it, you know 
Eagles, uh, the bigger, it seems like the, in a lot of cases, the bigger the outfit, the bigger the ego. And a lot of these guys don't like that, period. And they're mm-hmm. going to try to use their, they don't try, they do. They use their their power to um, to to create um, uncertainty for people. And, and, yeah. and it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's another issue that, that we have that, in a game that has a lot of issues, this is the integrity of our sport is the one issue that we can't wish away. And, and it, it's hard to, um, it's, it, I mean, we complain about jockey DQs or not jockeys, excuse me, DQs all the time. And a lot of that's the stewards own fault because they're inconsistent. Yeah. And a lot of ways we're not sure what they should do. And, and the racing has gotten rougher and rougher. And, uh, and last week was the was the anniversary of the famous Alamuse takedown where they literally took yeah. down the wrong horse. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean that was a race where there was a spill. It was an actual spill. There was someone was coming down. Period. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so many of these you know these races. You had that race Saturday, uh, the turf race where Joe Orsino's horse got disqualified. And under the rules that we operate on. You certainly could make a, a pretty valid case that when he came in, he interfered with the horse who got beat a, a, a head for a second. So it's very, it's very plain to see that he cost that horse a, a placing. It's just hard though to to stomach when you bet the horse who was the best horse was going to win probably under any circumstance, right? And you get taken down and. And that's um, that's something that we should be able to fix in this business. You know, we 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 don't need to go to uh, the state regulators to, to fix things. We just have to make things. You know, we have to decide what's a foul and what's not a foul. And and uh, mm-hmm. and well, yeah, I I feel like the you know, and I feel this way about sports. I feel like why why in sports are the officials not being held sort of accountable in the same way that the players and coaches are. So the, you know, and, and say the NCAA tournament is a, is a great example of it. Uh, you get, you, you put these kids and they're kids. I mean, and granted, some of them are going on to become millionaires, but most of them are not. Right. Uh, they have to go and talk about their game and what happened in the game and, and mistakes that they made. And they make them come up there after they lose. And like, they don't, that's their last game that they ever play. And there's reporters there that have been doing this for 30 years and, and the same with coaches, but yet the officials who make calls, some bad, depending on what fan base you're asking, you're, you're Chuck, you're obviously from a, a rabid, uh, basketball fan base uh, college. Uh, you know, and I lived in Kentucky, so I used to hear about it all the time. But any school, and and the referees, just, they, they're just not accountable at all. They just do whatever they want to do, and that's it. And it's like the letter of the law. That's a weird thing about our culture. Um, you know, it, and it's every sport. I mean, it's, it's, and it's horse racing, too. I mean, they, the Kentucky Derby, I thought, was interesting last year when you had the disqualification. And uh, I, I was doing something. I was talking to somebody. I was in the middle of doing something. It was sort of like the day was, you know, all the stuff was over, like all the post-race press conference stuff was all over with. And I looked up, and I saw the stewards coming to the 
podium. And I was like, whoa, like, <laughs> wow, they're going to talk about this? They're going to actually talk about this. And they went up there, and they, and I don't know if they were following the rules or what, or what they decided, but they basically just said, we're going to read a statement, and we're not going to take any questions. <laughs> and I, I was like, what? Like, you got, what's the whole point of even coming and reading the statement? You could just issue the statement. I mean, we might as well just do that. You're not going to take if you're not going to take any questions. Uh, I, I, you know, I was so inspired when I saw him coming to the podium. I thought, "All right, finally!" And then, and then, no, <laughs> yeah. no accountability. Yeah, you so know, con- I remember they had kind of a lame excuse. Well, we can't comment. We can't take questions right. because there might be a lawsuit. And my right. question would have right. been, well, does that mean you're going to say something different in a court of law than you would say right now? If you're just telling us, right. if you're saying the truth and, and what happened, well, that story shouldn't change. You know, you're not, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you made yeah. your decision for, for a reason and mm-hmm. that's the reason the you, you've, you've taken the horse down and that's going to mm-hmm. stand and lawsuit or not. Um, yeah. your reasoning is your reasoning. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. It, it just right? was I mean, kind like, of a... and just just be clear about it, man. Even if you even if you say, even if you just end up giving the same answer from the podium, and in you know, we felt like <laughs> we felt like you know X Y Z did this and this and this, and you just keep answering it the same way. Even then, at least you have some accountability. Um, but otherwise, you just have none. <laughs> <laughs> none, yeah, none at yeah. all. You know, um, I will say one of the one of the very strange things about one of many uh, strange things about this Saratoga meet and probably just racing in general without spectators is the inquiry. You know, like the inquiry is always kind of like if you don't have a if you don't have like a a dog in the fight, uh, so to speak, and, and say you don't have you have no you have no say either way. It's great theater to watch the fans during the course of an inquiry, you know, like they show it on the screen and people are moaning and groaning and arguing with each other. And, and it, it's great. And all that is kind of lost. And then when they make a change, you know, people go crazy or they're happy or they're mad. And, and it's like, it, it happened on opening day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it obviously happened in a couple of stakes races so far. Um, it, it's just like, all of a sudden they say, there's going to be a change. And you just kind of like, you know, I just kind of catch myself, like, looking around, like, oh, oh, yeah, I forgot. Nothing's going to happen. No, no one's going to yell. No one's going to scream. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, what? Uh, the theater is gone. <laughs> yeah, right. That, that's funny. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, there's a, there's a yeah. DQ, but no one's, there's, there's no one yelling about it. I know. There's certain things like that that I've really noticed um, a lot. And, and, and then, you know, we've kind of gotten to the point in the special where we're we're starting to not, you know, trying not to write as much about how oh there's nobody here and it's right. very strange and da 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 it's like getting overkill but like <clears throat> a big race you know and you know how it is up here uh or, or anywhere there's a big ra- you know when the horses come back after a big race right you know for the horses to get the appreciation from the crowd at a place like saratoga where uh you know the fans are pretty savvy pretty smart very respectful of the game for the most part you know that that's truly kind of cool. Like when the horses come back, I think it's good for the riders. I think it's good for the for the connections of the horses. You know when they come back and they're like, "Wow!" You know, like like I Tisbalaw coming back the other day, and it was he's just coming back in front of you know an empty stand and there's nobody cheering or anything. And right. I'm like, 
that was the Travers winner. You know, like, I mean, it's going to happen at the Derby probably. There's going to be, you know, they're going to do the winner's circle presentation in the infield, and there's going to be, you know, 100 people there, or 1,000 people there, or whatever it's going to be. It's not going to be the same. No. Uh, and it's unfortunate, uh, which I'm sure all, all athletes are dealing with this. And I was actually, I have some friends, some, some colleagues that are sports writers that cover uh, other sports, and I'm actually... I haven't talked to any of them yet, but I'm kind of curious. Like, what's it? What's what's life been like for them to cover things? And I'm not, I'm not actually sure. A lot of guys are actually even going to things uh, like I am. I mean, there's there's a very limited number of of racing media uh, to begin with, and there's even less of a less uh, racing media now. But I'm I feel very fortunate that I get to go and, and do the stuff that I do. I mean, there's probably five guys out there in the morning, and that's about it. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm one of them, so it's kind of cool that I have that access. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is very strange. I've read some quotes from the NBA, which is operating in mm. a, a literal bubble. That mm-hmm. some of the players say it, it's just it's just odd because there's no crowd there either for you or against you. Yeah. The the, yeah. the the you know they're piping some kind of you know noise in there, but. It's mm-hmm. just not the same, and and yeah. you know when you're in yeah. a, when you're in an arena and you have twenty thousand people and they're all screaming and and you know you, mm-hmm. you get that energy from them, and it's yeah. it's not there, and and like Saratoga yeah. is the one place yeah. that um, or Keeneland as well, and uh, yeah. but Saratoga, you know, there, you have that interaction with the people, with the jockeys walking through the crowd back and forth yeah. to the paddock and and from the from the race and you know, walking yeah, through right the clubhouse. There. Yeah. And, you're so close to everything. Um, you know, the paddock is, is now, it, it's it's not like, I mean, you're not that close. Right. To, if you're not inside the paddock, you're not that close to the horses. But still, it's it's the, the backs, uh, you know, about, about back with the picnic area. And, and um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like you said, just uh, looking and seeing uh, when they show that pan shot of the, of the, um, the grandstand and... Yeah. Uh, on the apron of the track, there's nobody. It just looks weird. And you know, I, I've been to Gulfstream a couple of days, um, there, you know, in the race during the races, and there's mm-hmm. you know, same thing. No, no people, and obviously it's a much smaller facility. But mm-hmm. the one thing that that gets me is the um, how quiet it is. Because mm-hmm. when when you go to the back, you know, when, when you stand at the eighth pole in the morning during morning works there's lots of noise there's horses going back and there's going forth yeah. and there's people talking mm-hmm. and there's ponies and um there's there's just it's it's not like a, a race day but it, it, there's yeah. no you know there's a lot of action still going on there's horses working all the time guys whistling blah 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 and mm-hmm. when you're there for the races you don't even have that and it's just this no. eerie feeling yeah. of of quietness and and uh they weren't they weren't for a while. Uh, they weren't even piping the track announcers' call in because you know there's oh wow yeah. the only people there were the grooms and the trainers. So yeah, it was the race would be off and you can't hear them on the backside. Really, <laughs> you know they're coming down the stretch and you can finally start to hear them. Um, you know, getting after the horses and, and yelling and and, and uh, you hear the horses you know hooves hitting the ground. But it's just this odd. It's it's the way it sounds. It sounds different and it's just. Yeah. Uh, Calder, I, I I don't think you've probably been there in a couple of years, but Calder no, is now Gulfstream Park West, whatever you want to call it. There's yeah. no grandstand, and yeah. there's 
the way, for whatever technical reason, the TVs there that show the races are on like a seven or eight second delay. Oh, no. So, so it's <laughs> yeah. it's like the most difficult place in the world to watch a race because it's it's hard to get your your ears and your eyes to work separately, and that's kind of what you have to do because you watch them; they're off, and then you look at the TV and you know the horses are running already, and you hear the track announcer calling the race, but you look wow. at the TV and the horses are still standing in the gate. <laughs> yeah, well, I got so frustrated with it. I, I started going in and back to the back. They have a little tiny track kitchen, uh, mm-hmm. and I would just watch the race from there on television because otherwise it was yeah. driving me mad. And uh, <laughs> you know, I, it's it's the same thing. Like you know, yeah. you're off, and there's nobody cheering, and there's mm-hmm. it's just so weird. And yeah, I'm, yeah, I walked down to the. Um, <laughs> On op- it was opening day, and maybe it's been other days. I've walked down the apron a little bit, and they, I think I kind of don't really want you to kind of walk around a lot, just because they don't right. want to make it look like you know you're doing whatever. But I, I, I don't know if I was supposed to or not supposed to. But it was the first day, and I was like, I, I walked through the whole place, you know. Right. And uh, I was down about the eighth hole. It was great because I took, I sat down on a bench for a few minutes and was catching up on some emails and stuff on my phone. And uh, a, a local photographer at the local, one of the local papers took a picture of me. Really? <laughs> Sitting there by myself, you know, with my mask on and all that. And uh, before I had sat down, I had walked down and I heard like this sort of a strange sound. And I was like, what is that? And uh, I like looked up into the grandstand to see what it was. And it was the, the it was the ceiling fans. You know, the ceiling fans mm-hmm. are up there above the box seats and above the grandstand sure. seats and everything. But, well, they were, they were like, sort of buzzing and, and whirling or whatever sound that they make. You know, like a fan sound, right. like you might hear in your house with sure. your ceiling fan. But there's, there's like, you know, a hundred of them. So it's kind of a, a loud-ish noise. And I was like, you know, I've been coming here my whole life. I don't think I've ever heard a ceiling fan at Saratoga. And, and and you're right. Like in the morning, I didn't even notice the ceiling fans in the morning. But in the afternoon, you sure as heck noticed it. Like just any sound out of the ordinary was very noticeable for sure. I'm surprised they even had them on. Well, it's funny. That's one of the, they, I, you drive by the racetrack and at any time, like in the winter, sometimes or the fall, and like the TVs will be on. I'm not exactly sure what the story is with that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's some reason they do it. Oh, yeah, right. I don't know what, and lights, a lot of lights are on and everything, but yeah. So I don't know why those ceiling fans are on. Maybe they just click them on on opening day or something uh, and they just yeah. had them on. I mean, so, maybe maybe, maybe, they, in there maybe they need to tough. run the motors because they get dust in them or something. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. They never, like, I, I can't tell you how many days. My dad used to have four seats in section uh, mm-hmm. I, I believe. And, um, <laughs> You'd be sitting there on one of those hot days, and and you'd be looking at that ceiling, and it'd be feeling, and it'd be going around. But like, man, I ain't feeling any of that. I'm That's not, not feeling working. any of that yeah. wind. <laughs> yeah, you might actually wonder, like, what if what if that fan wasn't on? How hot would I be then? Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, yeah. man, I wish that thing. Can you turn that off a little bit? It's really hot. Yeah, yeah, crank that sucker. <laughs> well, you yeah. know, with, with the Saratoga meet this year kind of being. Um, almost upside down and, and the, the the feature event is has already been run it kind of makes yeah. it you know it, it, it it's almost like the, the Travers um, as the 
premiere event, it, it, there's like a build up to the Travers, and then mm-hmm. after the Travers, it's like okay, it's mm-hmm. like uh, you know we got this last week to get in. We got the couple, the, the you know the, the hopeful and the, the spin away, and uh, mm-hmm. you know get those races in and, and, and get ready for Belmont. And um, with this year, the it, it seems weird. I, I was thinking about it today. I'm like, well, hell, yeah. <laughs> you know the Travers was 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 uh was this weekend this past weekend mm-hmm. the, the alabama's next weekend and the mm-hmm. test was this past weekend and the alan jerkins was this past weekend and well hell what's, what's left? left you know what's left? right left. i almost thought i was thinking about this the other day like i, I feel like you're right that the the big race obviously the traverse is the centerpiece and it really was the center almost of the at least, at least by time um I think maybe now a couple things. I think maybe the the build up towards the end of the meet, uh, you know, is going to be obviously everybody talking about the Kentucky Derby. Um, not necessarily here in Saratoga, but I mean, you have the you'll have the Derby favorite sort of training here for a little while, so you'll have that, and then you'll kind of have the those late last weekend stakes, the hopeful and stuff like that. But they just don't have the panache that the, the Travers does in terms of you know the no. build up and the buzz. And then I also I also. I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, you know, when they redid the schedule, and, and, and far from me to, to try to come up with a sort of schedule that's going to work during these times, but given the fact that you did the Travers so early um, and you shifted a lot of stuff, like maybe the Whitney might have been better positioned at the end of the meet so you could sort of at least have a big centerpiece race at the end. I mean, And the Woodward is at the end, and it is that amount a quarter this year, which I do think is cool to to make it a little bit of a longer race. Um, but maybe maybe not have a Whitney and a Woodward in the same meet, or or, or maybe maybe make the Whitney amount a quarter, make it at the end. I mean, just sort of that Whitney name versus the Woodward. I mean, the Woodward should be for people in racing. I think the Woodward still means a lot, like maybe racing purists, like people like you and I. Um, I still, others, I still but, think of the Woodward but, at Belmont. Yeah, I do too. You know, <laughs> I rem- you know, it's like Ali Sheba won it, and you know, like all these great horses won. Holy it back bull! In the day, uh, that that was yeah. one of the best races. I, I tell you what, that day I don't know yeah. anybody who would have beat Holy Bull the day he yeah. won the Woodward at Belmont, and that that was. Yeah. Uh, I was standing about a hundred feet past the wire, and I remember Mike Smith uh-huh. was just screaming. I mean, he was uh, so <laughs> it was just must, must yeah. an unbelievable feeling. He just. I mean, just devastated. It was a great call. Tom Durkin's call was yeah. a classic call, but uh, the Woodward just seems like a one-turn Belmont race, yeah. and then uh, right. to have it at Saratoga makes. And I understand why they do it. And, and sometimes I think, you know, sometimes people in racing are so sensitive. Man, we have the most sensitive yeah. people. Oh my God, you criticize. I said, well, that's what things. You know, sometimes that's how things get better. <laughs> you know, yeah. you say you point out the flaws yeah. in them. And the Saratoga, the Whitney, the the the, um, the Woodward seems on most years, obviously not the year like Rachel Alexandra won it. That was a you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a one that that'll go down in history as a great race. And um, but it seems like it's it's the the Whitney kind of um, like the 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 one B, you know, like. Uh, not a B level race, but it just doesn't. It's like the Whitney is is the top older horse two turn race at Saratoga, not the Woodward. Mm-hmm. It's the Woodward is kind of like the the you know the one and the one A. It seems like it's the A. It doesn't seem like it's the one. And uh, and yeah, the mile and a quarter does make it a little different. And uh, yeah, you know you're kind of going up against the Ali Sheba this year, 
which is a little bit different because, you know, LSU was usually yeah. run the first week in May. But uh, I, I believe that's 400000 That's in a mile and an eighth. And, and I wanted to get – I wanted to ask you if you had any kind of insight into – um, what jockeys outside of Manny Frankel might be heading to Churchill to quarantine then to Churchill? And have you heard anything about what happens with those guys after that weekend at Churchill? And that, I mean, I'm sure if they go for the weekend at Churchill, they'll, they'll stay for Monday at Kentucky Downs where they have uh, $2.5 million worth of purses to give out. Yeah, uh, right. What, what happens after that, especially with the Preakness looming um, and that card? Mm. And then that that same weekend, you're going to have all these big Breeders' Cup previews, basically a month mm-hmm. out from the Breeders' Cup. And uh, you have any? Have you heard anything? I haven't heard anything about who may also go uh, beyond. Obviously, you know the that Manny Franco's obviously going to go. Um, I, I think a lot of people seem to think, and I just heard just sort of anecdotally from a few agents and stuff that basically they seem to hope that maybe Churchill was leaving the door open, that they may actually sort of make a change to that policy. Um, I think, I think they were interpreting it that way and reading the, we're reading the, the way it was written. Um, so that, that obviously is, they're probably hopeful for that. Um, and as far as, uh, you know, what's going to happen after the fact. I mean, one, one key thing that I, I, I think people seem to forget was a lot of people were talking about like, well, when they come back to New York then they're going to have to do a, like a, a 14 day quarantine. Like this is sort of the thing that we have in New York when you come from 33 States or something like that, whatever, whatever's on the list that uh, the governor has, has put this list out. Uh, you have to do that. So, and, and Kentucky is obviously one of those States. Uh, you know, several states are on there. I think even Maryland's on there. Um, but that, that it, it seems like that you don't have to do that if you're considered essential, like an essential worker. Cause I was, somebody was talking to me about going to the Kentucky Derby and I thought, well, uh, I would like to, but then I got to do a 14 day sort of quarantine when I get back and, and the access at the Derby is going to be very restricted. And uh, am I going to even be able to really do my job down there? Am I just sort of going there and just hanging out in the grandstand and trying to report on the race in that way? I can almost do that from, from anywhere. Um, and somebody said, no, no, you, you don't have to do the quarantine when you get back because you're considered essential as a member of the media in New York, you're considered essential. So I was like, well, okay. And then I, I also understand that trainers, because you, what you're seeing is you're seeing trainers come into Saratoga, uh, you know, from Maryland and from other states that are on this list. In Virginia, guys are coming in. The steeplechase jocks are coming in uh, to ride in the races. And they're considered sort of essential. Like, I know the trainers are. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Well, I wonder if the jockeys fall into that same category. Because if they do, I mean, obviously they have to do this quarantine going down there. But I'm not sure because I, I thought there's no way they're going to go because they're going to miss out. They're going to be gone for like a month, basically, right? Um, just to ride a couple cards down there at Churchill. Now, granted, they get to ride those are good cards and they're probably on some good horses. But then they're going to miss out on like two weeks of their business when they come back to New York uh, if they're not riding at Kentucky Downs or anywhere else. But if they are deemed essential, I think a lot of that has to be clarified. And I'm not exactly sure that 
that that has been clarified by, uh, you know, the state government or the state gaming commissions or even the jockeys guild, at least not from what I've seen. Um, I could be, I could be wrong, but it's certainly a strange, uh, situation in the midst of a very strange time. Um, you know, um, there's been not to be political, but Kentucky, the, Kentucky's governor has been very um, cautious. Use that word yeah. for a state that has not really had a lot of issues. And right. honestly, the population of the, the state of Kentucky is not that big outside of of the the Lexington, the Northern Kentucky, and the Louisville areas. It's a rural right. state for the most part. But I was under the impression that Churchill Downs was kind of following along the protocols that the state wanted. And they wanted, um, you know, they're trying to stay in the good graces of the state. And I believe that the fact that they want a significant number of fans to be allowed there, um, I I think they were trying not to piss them off. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much. I mean, I think if it was up to them, they let them guys fly in on Wednesday, or what Tuesday, do a test on them. They come back negative, then let them roll, and because they're only going to be there four or five days, and then and then leave. But yeah, but it's you know, like you said, we don't know, and there's been so little clarity on so many issues in this COVID era that, uh, especially from governments, we, we state yep. government, local government, we I've gotten very little clarity on things and and there's so many things that are kind of um okay you're essential but you're not well you're essential for this but you're not essential for that but you have to have a test but you have to do this and it makes it it makes it so um so difficult to figure out exactly you know what to do but um you know you have this next um starting with derby weekend you Mm -hmm. have um a four-week period where essentially all the final Breeders' Cup preps all over the country are are going to occur. And, you know, under normal circumstances, this is when the top guys, the Mike Smiths and the Ortiz brothers and and those type of riders, they, you know, Rosario, they, they would be flying all over the place, you know, Securing their mounts, picking up their new ones, and 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 getting their ducks in a row for the Breeders' Cup. But mm-hmm. with this, I, yeah. I don't. I just don't know. I mean, I think that the Preakness card might really be affected in that mm-hmm. they don't have a whole lot of. Um, I mean, listen, the Preakness card is always a really good card, the undercard. Mm-hmm. But when you line it up against the traditional fall uh, Breeders' Cup prep races, they pale in comparison. So I don't know. I mean, if um, outside of Manny Franco, (laughs) who, 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 you know, obviously he potentially could be going for the Triple Crown, uh, I I don't know who else would even ride that card, especially with races in other jurisdictions that... uh, Are, are going to be important, and um, I don't know. It, it's uh, it, there's so much uncertainty, and, and I believe me, I, I don't. Um, being a jockey agent for a top jockey is a lucrative position, but it's difficult because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's almost an embarrassment of riches. But a lot of cases, 
you have two, you know two or three top trainers wanting you to ride your ride a horse in a single race and it, that itself is a difficult enough task to kind of manage through and you know if i if i don't ride this one am i going to lose these two blah 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 but when you when you put two weeks quarantine maybe coming and going in in the situation it's almost an impossible situation and yeah especially you know you know what happens to horses how many times uh do, do we have a horse that's pointing to a race and last minute oh geez he gets a little sick or he he pops a quarter crack yeah. and misses the race and it's like oh man you're standing there and, and like Right. You're really you're, you're sitting in quarantine waiting to ride this horse, and among others, and, mm-hmm. and two of them scratch, and then you're like, "Wow, you know, well that was a yeah." Waste you may be of time. sitting, and then you're sitting in quarantine after the fact. <laughs> That's true, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it, and it, yeah, you talk about the, the the riders being in demand. I mean, how about the horses in demand that that week? That you talk about that Preakness weekend. That's like a big weekend at Belmont, opening weekend at Kingdom. That's probably. Oak Tree, Santa Anita, whatever, you know, it's not Oak Tree anymore, but it basically is Oak Tree. Right. Derby preps, like you said. And Freakness Weekend. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, some it, of those great. Yeah, I mean. It's kind of wild. And, um, and you know, I said this the other day when we were talking about this on the show. Um, I would really like to see some of these second-tier jockeys, the Jose Lescano's, get chances on on really good horses because a lot of these mm-hmm. guys are really good jockeys and they kind of get shut out a little bit because so few control so many and mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. their jockeys and this guy has their jockeys and a lot there's a lot of overlap i read ortiz is going to ride every race he wants to ride in and deservedly so <laughs> you know he's he's a, yep. he's a tremendous jockey and and he he's going to bump <laughs> pretty much anyone who wants to uh, you know, if if he wants your mount, he's probably going to bump you. But um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and there's other, yeah. you know, obviously the, the Mike Smiths and and uh, those guys. But there's there's so many other jockeys that they just need a chance to ride some good horses. If you're riding fifteen to one shots all the time, well, it's hard to win more than ten, twelve percent because you would have to so uh, overwhelm the the odds that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it becomes an impossible task, and it, it's another you know another trickle down thing from the super trainers where uh, the top four or five jockeys are getting far more chances than the the six seven eight nine guys where it used to be the top ten guys were divided up a whole lot more when there was ten or twelve trainers of of strength, uh, and then there was ten or twelve trainers uh, on kind of like the B B plus level. Where now it seems like there's five, and then there's four, and then there's everybody else, and and that yeah. uh, the, the consolidation really sucks. And uh, I complain yep. about it all the time, but um, I also don't have. Uh, I have some solutions, uh, but they require they require sacrifice, and they require people to piss other people off, and that doesn't happen right. very often in this business. No, that's for sure. That's for sure. But um, I want to. I, I, you know, there's an interesting piece of trivia that like hardly anybody knows about, but you were in my very first win picture. <laughs> That's right, I was. You, Churchill Down. Churchill Down. I think it was Memorial Day. Memorial, Memorial Day. Day. That's right. Midnight Miner. It, it was. Uh, it was me and you and 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 uh, who wrote him? Pat Johnson. I think it was the girl I was dating. Yep, the girl you were dating, and and you and me, and uh, I think Joe, was it not uh, Pat Johnson? 
Okay. Pat yeah. Johnson and uh, Midnight Miner. Yeah. And Mr. Ramsey couldn't make it because he had a family reunion. And I remember thinking about six oh. months later, this guy has a lot of family reunions. <laughs> 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 he had more family reunions in, in six months than uh, man, my family never had any reunions. I've ever, but, uh, I've never I've, I've been to one in 30 years. I, I virtually, <laughs> yeah. uh, like, no one hardly knew who I was in Kentucky because yeah. I hadn't spent a whole lot of time there. And, right. and, uh, and thankfully, you were there. <laughs> it was great. It, it, I, I'll it never was, forget it. it I, was, and uh, I, I was telling a story. Uh, I went to, I've sort of become friends with Mark Cassie over the years, and he invited me to go to the Prince of Wales stakes with him one time. Mm-hmm. From here, from Saratoga, I flew on the plane with him and Johnny Velasquez, and we went up there, and he won it with the Philly, Wonder Godot there. And uh, he asked me to go. It was like we were, I was talking to him in the backstretch about, how the Clancy's and I sit around the office and we usually watch it on Tuesdays. We're not working. We don't have a paper the next day. But we're in the office and we're like, oh, the Prince of Wales is on. Let's watch it. He's like, oh, you should come. So I did. So anyway, long story short, I I was in the winter circle picture because I, I was just going as a friend. You right, know? Like, right. He was like, get in the winter circle. I was like, all right. So I did. And then I wrote a story. And then I think I wrote a story about my whole experience. Mm-hmm. And I did write in that story how my my winter circle picture, you know, career is very brief and i did write how i was in it with you that time <laughs> pat day and, was the uh, pat day road midnight miner pat day oh he might have been yeah it was pat and day I, I remember his yeah. his i remember his agent saying i remember i called him and he was like who mm. and i'm like chuck the guy who works with jerkins <laughs> oh you're training it's like yeah he goes Pat usually doesn't ride those cheap races but he'll ride it for you so um <laughs> yeah we got pat day so so what what's nice. your your win nice. picture um the Tom Law win so picture? I, was, I think I was in with you one time and uh I was in with uh Terry Finley asked me to come in one time at Gulfstream back when they were really not they weren't just getting started but they had won a, I think they won the Swale Stakes with uh Pat Byrne was training for them mm-hmm. and I don't remember that was what a while. his name but yeah a while ago. So they won that I think I was just at Gulfstream and he was like come on in and then I got in the winter circle. Sean uh, won a jump race up here with a horse named Apps. And uh, for Richard Valentine trained the horse. And um, I got in there for that. And then I think the Wonder Godot. I think only four times. That was it. So, Oh, no. One other time, Charlie LaPresti, uh, his wife, made me get in down at Amy. Amy said, get in here. It wasn't with Wise Dan. <laughs> what, I was going to say, what's Wise Dan? <laughs> No, it was with a it was with a Richard Klein, one of Richard Klein's horses. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I, I've gotten to know Richard over the years, and I, I remember talking to him on the phone one time, saying, "You probably have a picture of me somewhere in your house, <laughs> and me in the winter circle with one of your horses at Keeneland." So. Well, I, I'm honored to be in select company with the, the Prince of Wales and yeah. uh, the Swale, quite a and crew, right? <laughs> Richard Klein and um, and and Sean Clancy as a jockey. No, so he wasn't a jockey. Oh, he wasn't. He was a trainer, or owner. <laughs> yeah, owner. Uh, yeah, owner of the horse. See that the the, the, the Sean Clancy should he should make a comeback anyways. He really should. He should. <laughs> he should. <laughs> yeah, he he would tell you he's probably you know maybe one concussion away from being in deep trouble. So. Um, <laughs> well, just don't fall off. Well, uh, you, you've seen enough of those races. Oh, <laughs> man. I, I like those races. I, you know, it bothers me every year when people are like, oh, they're going to get rid of them. They're going to get rid of them. I don't like betting on them. It's like, come on. No. Come on. It's Saratoga. They're 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 yeah. fun to watch. You don't like them? Just don't pay attention right. to them. Listen, there's plenty Black of races Friday. you shouldn't bet on. <laughs> you know, not every race is, 
You know, you shouldn't right. be betting on every race anyways, but it, it's uh, it, it's one of the things that's a tradition of Saratoga, and, and, and I like watching the jump races. And, that's right. Uh, they're kind of cool. Yeah. And, uh, I agree. It's I, uh, I think a tradition. It's, and, yeah. Yeah, I mean. If you don't like them, don't bet on it. If you you could be a football fan. You don't have to go to high school football on Friday night, and it's fine. Just don't go. Just don't don't watch it. I, I mean, I remember when they used to put them in the um, – they, they were in the body, the, you know, the car. They they weren't just you know relegated yeah. to the first race and second and fourth. It was in the pick six. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the, the Jonathan Shepard, uh, Janet Elliott days of, of uh, oh yeah, Jerry Fishback, my friend Jerry Fishback. Yes, yeah. he was a dominant. Jack, now it's Jack Fisher. He dominated. Jack, Jack Fisher um, is is like the uh, he, he's yeah. like the the Baffert of, uh, of yeah. jumpers. He's won all, he's won all three. They've run three up here, and they got two more this week. So they had to cancel last week because of the rain. So. He's uh, he's got horses in. I believe he's got one in Thursday as well. I know he's got a, a really good chance in tomorrow's jump race. So. You, you know, I want to ask you a question, and and um, this is a, this is something that you know. Sometimes you just make assumptions about things, and, and you kind of you don't even think about it. But mm-hmm. you know, talking about jump racing, talking about select company, shouldn't Barkley Tag have at least been nominated for Hall of Fame induction? At this point, yeah, uh, you know it's funny that you say that, and uh, I agree. And I think it's, uh, it's that's a huge uh, oversight that he hasn't been. Um, you know, and I maybe should take some of that blame. Uh, I'm on the I'm on the nominating committee, which is kind of the the smaller group of uh, you know. I'm also I'm a voter, but I'm also on kind of the smaller group of you know, I guess racing press that have been around a while. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to think that I'm in that group now. Um, we're we're, and, we're uh, old, Tom. I still, think of myself a... as my, I, still, I know. I still think of myself as the same guy that was in the winter circle with you with Midnight Miner. I know. Um, I, my I, shorts. I think I was probably wearing shorts. Hey, listen, Tom. You still run. You're still pretty fit. I do. Yeah, I was just thinking about when I'm going to get my running today. I mean, I, I think I have a, a wide receiver's body, but it's, it's way more like an <laughs> offensive tackle. <laughs> so, but but he he him not being nominated is definitely a uh, yeah that that needs to be I guess at least reconsidered. I mean, there's there's some guys in there that his credentials uh, certainly stack up with or better than um, you know, and 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 it's funny when. When these things come up and, and, and they cook the words, it's the same way. And I have some opinions about it, and I just think that a lot of the information that is provided to the voters uh, for both, um, I think the Hall of Fame, Brian and, and the team at the Hall of Fame probably does a little bit better job uh, with the information, a much better job, I should say. Uh, a, a lot of it always just comes down to, like, numbers. It seems like people just look at these lists of stuff and they're like okay well here's the list of the top 100 earning trainers or top 100 winning trainers or jockeys or whatever of all time and that's what that's what a lot of people go by and as you know to me that's that's just the wrong way to go i think there's there's guys that you know like barkley has been he's been doing it for so long and and that's that's certainly no reason to get in but um you know he's been doing it at a at a high level for a long time now. You look back at some major races that he won before Funny Side, and then of course he had Funny Side. He's won, you know, he's won three 
classic races now. He's got a Traverse. You know, Tizzle is probably going to be a champion three-year-old. You know, if you had to vote today, people would, I'd vote for him for horse of the year today. I mean, who else, who else would I vote for for horse of the year? I'll be honest. Um, I, I was talking yeah. about it last night. I think he's the best horse in the country. Yeah, I, mean, I think so. You line him up in the starting gate of going a mile and a quarter. Yep. Who do you take? Who do you take over him? Nobody. Who do you He'll take over him? Into the ground. Exactly. I mean, I. I yeah. It, it listen. It, it's it's far from a stellar year for for older, you know, quote unquote sure. handicap horses. We call them handicap horses. There are hardly any handicaps. Right. But uh, and I was, <laughs> I want to have Andy Byer on one of the show. I don't know if I can get him to come on or not. But I want to ask him a question about mm-hmm. the buyers. In that this year mm-hmm. in particular. The three-year-olds are running better buyers than the older horses all mm. the time. Okay. And yeah. you look at Gamine versus um, Serengeti Empress, and I get, mm. I get it. a buyer is a buyer essentially is an opinion. I mean, it's a yeah. it's a it's a number that's derived from other numbers, but it's also there, there's some there's certainly so, some opinion involved in, in, in knocking it mm-hmm. up or down a little bit and. But the, yeah. they're they're the one thing that we've had for uh, quite a long time now, and this year in particular, the the, the three year olds are running faster than the older horses on so mm-hmm. many occasions, and I just wonder, I mean, are are we seeing some really good three? Is this a really good crop of three year olds, or is this just a yeah. really terrible crop of older horses? Right, <laughs> could be a combination of both. Um, you know, I think the. The older males are hopefully going to sort themselves out a little bit. I mean, I, I do think the older horses are, you know, Tom's Data and Code of Honor and and uh, Improbable, pretty decent horses that came out of the came out of the Whitney and probably go on and be pretty strong in the in the fall. You know, Jackie Cup, Gold Cup, Woodward, Breeders' Cup Classic type races, and then we see the three year olds get in there. At least is the law. They can stack up with them pretty good. And then the other divisions. Um, but, I mean, it's going to be pretty tough to beat the filly that won the test here the other day. I mean, whatever, you know, if they run her in the Philly Mare Sprint. Or, um, I, I was thinking that the other day. It was like, you know, the plan is to go to the Oaks and then yeah. I'm guessing the Distaff. But, man, yeah. who's beating her going seven-eighths at Churchill? I know. And the only race she ran in that she really has, has um, hasn't won handily was her two-turn race. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yep. people talk about, you know, mile and a quarter running in the Derby. It's like, first of all, she's by Into Mischief, who's a really good sire, but right. he's not a mile and a quarter sire. Someone on Facebook put something the other day, and, and <laughs> you know, it's so funny that, like, we're the old guys now, <laughs> and we have <laughs> we, we have the, uh, a better global view of, of the history than, than, you know, a lot of the people that just kind of got into the game in the last, you know, decade or so. Someone said, you know, is Into Mischief the best styre of all time for, for up to a mile? And I'm thinking, hello, Mr. Prospector, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mr. Hey, Prospector uh, had 47 grade one winners. I think uh, Into Mischief's yeah. got 30, you know, grade graded winners. But, um, yeah. you know, going back to Barkley, it's, it's mm-hmm. I, I just looked his stats up the other day. And, he, you know, he's made $62 million in purses. And yeah. you got to remember the first ten or fifteen years of his career, he he was training in Maryland, yeah, and the purses, you know, you were talking yeah. about twenty thousand dollar maiden races and yeah. allowance races, and the uh, hundred thousand were the big stake races. Mm-hmm. These days, 
and the other thing is, um, well, he's won 1,500 races. He's won, a, like you said, a slew of graded stake races, important races at, at major venues. Uh, he's won plenty of triple crown races, and it sure looks like he's headed for more. And like this winter, he had 15 horses down here. This is that That's what he had. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about yeah. a guy that's got a 100-horse a stable or a 200-horse stable. And that's the thing is that the numbers now are so skewed um, mm-hmm. because, it, it, I mean, we've got to a point where um, there's only two or three guys that can be a leading trainer at some of these big meets because they just yeah, have exactly. such volume. And it screws it up a little bit because, uh, you know, we we have shitty stats. <laughs> I don't know what they're saying. In this business, we keep track of counting numbers. But counting numbers, yep. uh, you know, if 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 the Yankees got to play, uh, you know, got to use, um, uh, got to play 300 games and everybody else got to play 162 games, well, guys playing for them are going to have a lot better numbers because they got twice yeah. as many games. And, and here, these guys have so many horses that it makes it, um, like you said, the, you're, you're looking at the all-time list of money earners. Well, mm-hmm. you know, Barkley kind of straddles the era of of the big, big money that's available now. I mean, you have races now. They're twenty million dollars, and the Saudis aren't paying them. <laughs> they don't. They don't appear like they want to pay the the ten yeah. that, that was won. But um, I mean, that's ten million dollars. If you had a horse that won the the Pegasus, the the World Cup, and then the, the Saudi thing. And won the Breeders' Cup Classic. Maybe you had a really good horse one year. Well, hell, you'd be on the top hundred list training one horse. I know, and and I it's know. it's hard to compare that to when grade threes were seventy five thousand and grade yeah. you know, a lot of grade twos were a hundred and and you just couldn't possibly make that much money. And and you know you have races now where guys have two or three horses or, or more in in a stake, and sometimes they run one two or one two three and. And they, they take the whole purse, and uh, but I, I just think that um, his excellence as a trainer. And someone said, "Well, you know," I said, "Well, he trained like six million dollar earners. Well, a couple of them weren't that good." I said, "Exactly, <laughs> exactly." Said, that, that's exactly. my point. That they weren't yeah. like, "Hey, you know, you just throw a bridle on them, and and, and you can run them in any race, and they're going to win." I mean, yeah. you're saying you're kind of making my point in that he was able to get. The best out of those horses where they earned that much money and won that many races, and you don't even really think they're that good. Yeah, um, that's know. what makes you Hall of Fame worthy, right? I mean, to to do that, you know, and, and to go back to your point earlier about the the good, the good horses versus sort of the bad horses. Nothing you can really do do with them. I, I've heard I've heard a lot of horsemen basically say that you know, giving a lot of credit to the horsemanship of some of these guys that are that are scraping out a living at these smaller tracks with these you know lesser horses they're like the things that those guys have to do to keep those horses going that needs to be recognized you know versus you know going to the keeneland sale or basic tips and saratoga sale nothing against them but like they're buying the cream of the crop or whatever or they're they're getting they're getting two-year-olds every year from some of the best breeders in the game uh you know, so a, a guy like a guy like Barkley, who's carving out a living year in and year out with strong numbers, you know, of in terms of wins and earnings, uh, and and winning big races, 
you know, and, and being relevant for all these years, you know, that, that maybe carries a little bit more weight to me than just sort of overflowing them with, you know, number after number. Yeah, and no, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, Mark Hennig and, and Dallas Stewart were on Twitter, and uh, yesterday, and they were they couldn't believe that they thought he was already in. They were like, "What? Yeah, you know, he, what do you mean he's not in?" And uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, you, you get these advanced stats in other sports like WAR and baseball, and 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 uh, you know, uh, wins above replacement, and and you, where you take a lot of the. Um, you take the the numbers in um, context, and I think that's something that we have never really had, and, and it's it's tough, um, it's tough to to come up with because we run in so many different. Like a baseball game's got nine innings, you know, you have X amount of at, at bats, you have uh, there's a lot of constants here. Everything is so different. You have. Yeah. races from five furlongs to a mile and a half you have different surfaces you have different um uh you know sexes and 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 there's just a, a lot of a variety and a lot of different variables that uh but i think that barkley would be one of these guys that when you stacked his numbers up against um when you take into consideration the size of his barn when you take into consideration the amount of money that was his horses have 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 been purchased for when when you can take consideration how well he's done consistently uh at, at the highest levels for 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 a while and, and you know barkley tag hasn't you know he's old as dirt but he, he hasn't been in new york for 50 years he right. he his his foray into new york you know full time was was uh i think it's been about you know a little over 25 20 years 25 years so mm-hmm. So most of his numbers uh, have been accumulated the last twenty years, and uh, and certainly, tis the law is going to bring a lot of. Um, it, it's certainly going to to keep him in the news. It's going to have a lot of of going to give him a good push, and um, and I really think that at the very least his he should be nominated, and and it, it should be yeah. discussed, and and I really wish that. Um, I wish that uh, we. I mean, this sounds a little morbid, but you know, he's he's in his eighties, and it's yeah, it is, his credentials are. He's still building his case, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's frustrating to me. I, I talked about on last night's show a little bit about why do we wait till people die before they name snakes after them? Like yeah, right. Charlie Whittingham and Alan Jerkins, they hadn't done enough when they were still alive. <laughs> Right, you know, right. like, do you know how proud Alan Jerkins would have been about of, of of having that stake? And listen, he appreciated the fact that Gulfstream, not uh, you know, named a stake after him while he was still here. And you know, he said to Jimmy, he goes, yeah, "Why do I have to name a turf race after me? I like dirt racing better." And, he, <laughs> and Jimmy said something to the effect of, "Chief, there ain't a whole lot of two mile turf or dirt horses, you know." <laughs> I, yeah. I, I almost won that race one year. I almost won that race in the Evil Empire. Oh, Todd had to beat me. Oh, that was frustrating. Uh, but uh, yeah, but I um, find it interesting that they have, the chief has a seven-eight 
grade one and and a two mile grass race named after them. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's like, it's it's, it's <laughs> well, it's like Secretariat, you know. Secretariat's got a, yeah. a, a turf stake named after him. Now, Secretariat's turf record was was great. I mean, he was a monster yeah, on the turf. You just don't uh, you just don't yeah. think of uh, of of him uh, as a as a turf sire, I mean, man of war. The only turf man of war I ever saw was when he ate it. You know, yeah, <laughs> there was no turf yeah. racing back then. He was raised on it. That was. It. <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it's. Uh, I, I said, you know, why? Why can't we just do these things? Like, why doesn't Angel Court Daryl have a stake named after him? Mm, up here, right? Yeah, yeah and, and it doesn't have to be. You know, like they don't have to rename the Diana or something. But mm-hmm. let's. I mean, let's let's. Mm. You know, I don't know. I, I'm listen. I'm I, every year. I'm sure people at Naira are sick of listening to me gripe about Pennine Ridge. And as that yeah. race grows in stature and, and gets to be a better race, the fact that <laughs> he would be twenty to one in most runnings of it, kind of, I, I don't understand that. And I know I it's, it's it's an obsession that I have that people are like, you're really weird. But like, how can Manila well, Manila could have carried Pennine Ridge around the race and and beat him? I know. Star of Cozine. <laughs> There's so many really good, good turf horses that uh, yeah that could could be named. I'm gonna keep that stupid Pennine Ridge name. I don't know. Kind of makes me crazy. I, I think I'm just getting to be old and grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Tom, listen, man. I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate your time, and uh, I want you to know that Garlic Rob takes all the credit for your appearance here today. Oh, well, and uh, you know, he, I'm he's, glad he's he's he, a, a, he set it up. He, he, he's he's a self, a while ago. He's a self-named yeah. associate producer. I don't know. So I, I don't want to. I don't want to take too many digs at him because I love him. But can you help him with his handicap? Oh, a little man. bit. <laughs> I, I, you know, he's got. He he should almost use the let it ride theory, where you just walk around and you know, see who everybody else likes, and who, whoever's left, just take that one, or just throw darts, yeah. or let the, your cat pick them. I mean. Man, he's getting romped on. I, I told him, and the guy that's in front is good, and yeah, I'm having he is the best good. year I've ever had. So uh, it, it's a little bit skewed. I told I tell Garlic Rob all the time, Garlic Rob, we're only keeping track of numbers. Win. Sometimes you just got to take the easy center square. Just take it. Just take it. You know, you got to handicap the other guys as much. I, I'm trying to pick winners, but I'm like, I don't want to lose ground. So I'm like, all right. If you're if you're seventy five percent sure, don't go the other twenty five. Just go the seventy five. Take the center square. You can't take this like he, he picked his law the other day. Like, don't get cute. Yeah, take the law. <laughs> Just take the square. <laughs> Move on. Yeah, he's he's getting further and further behind. I mean, <laughs> he's gonna have yeah. to he's gonna have to sweep some cards here coming up. But uh, yeah. But he is he is garlic Rob and uh, he he's is, the man. He is the man. he is one of the old type um, characters that we have around the track that, that don't quite exist <laughs> like they used yeah. to anymore. But um, but uh, he's uh, I, I met him through the chief. He was literally spraying garlic everywhere. That's why his name is Garlic Rob. <laughs> I know it's great. It's great. Anyways, now that he's now that he's associate producer, I'm going to send him a bill. There you go. There you go. It does work. It's the craziest <laughs> thing. It makes your barn smell like a pizzeria. But we did it. You know, we did an experiment. We sprayed garlic. We have this garlic spray, and it works from uh, to keep mosquitoes away. And mm-hmm. I remember we we did a bunch of stalls, and and there was like two we didn't do, and like we didn't do the pony. And we came in the next morning, and the poor pony looked like he had hives. He had so many mosquito bites, 
And the horses that were in the horses, uh, the, the sprayed stalls, they hardly had any. It, it actually worked. It, it's mm. I, I don't know how anyone actually thought about this, but yeah, you know, sometimes you make discoveries by mistake. Mm-hmm. But uh, I appreciate I did it in my yard. It you, worked. You did your work, really? Yeah, it worked. It makes like me. I don't know if the mosquitoes are less this year or what, but I don't have a problem. It's regular, once a week, once every ten days. Yeah, it worked. Yeah, the mosquitoes are probably like, where the hell are all the people? <laughs> True. Yeah. Hey, what, what's out. going on? <laughs> where's all our Where's all our victims? Yeah, all living creatures are bummed out at Saratoga this year. Oh, man. Well, hopefully we get through the meat. Uh, yeah, we get through the meat and um, you know move on and into the fall, which looks like it could be kind of crazy. And uh, and we'll just hope that everything at some point goes back to uh, semi normal. Yeah, let's hope so. All right, Tom. I appreciate your time and uh, and good luck. And tell the Clancy boys I said hello. I sure will. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. You got it. That was uh, Tom Law of the Saratoga Special, who is um, covering Saratoga for for them on the ground, on the ground with very few other people, but um, on the ground nonetheless. Uh, I believe we have a caller, Casey. Hello. Michelle. Chuck, how are you? Michelle Sharp. It was nice to hear you speaking about Barkley getting into the Hall of Fame with Tom Law. Hopefully you push some buttons there. Well, well, Mr. Law is on the nominating committee, and uh, he's a big wig um, in, the, in the process, and he's also smart. So... We certainly seemed like he was going to um, push Mr. Tag's nomination, and I think, to be honest with you, if Tis the Law keeps running as well as he does and keeps knocking off these big grade one races, and the biggest one of all is coming up, um, he, he's building a, a pretty strong case, and he'll have a lot of momentum, and, and um, it would be pretty difficult if he were to win this Triple Crown. I know there's a long ways to go, and I know there's a million things that can happen, and Barkley would probably shoot me for even talking about it. But but if he were to to do that, if he were to win the Derby for a second time and and uh, win the Preakness for a second time, that would really, really enhance his... Uh, to me, he's a Hall of Famer already. I was going to say that. I think he already is. I've known him for over 25 years, and there's probably no better horseman other than maybe the chief who you came up under who was very much about getting Barkley into the Hall of Fame and like you said hopefully this could happen while he's still with us on this earth and not after he's gone that's my kind of why I've tried so hard to push this 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 year well he's deserving and to me he really is. He's truly deserving. Uh, you know, Tom, I mean, Tom he, said he, some he things. Literally, he literally is at the barn every day without fail, goes back every night. He's so hands-on with those horses. He does. And, and you know, Tom had made the point of seem, seemingly his, his frustration somewhat is that they'll break out the stats and they'll, they'll just look at the numbers. But even when you look at the numbers, he's made $62 million in purses. 
and he doesn't train. He, hard way. he doesn't train didn't a, a have, huge barn. A lot of, doesn't doesn't still have a lot of big money owners, and and has and has done and has what you were saying has gotten to the bottom of a lot of horses that probably a lot of trainers never would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a big believer in in him. I mean, honestly, until the other day, I had never looked up his statistics, and. You know, fifteen hundred, uh, close to sixteen hundred wins is a lot of wins. Um, I did it for twenty years. I have three hundred fifty nine, and exactly. you know, the last few years exactly. were a little slow. But I think, like, like we were talking about, people get the, the numbers get a little skewed nowadays because there's these outfits that didn't exist twenty years ago. These outfits of two or three hundred horses that are running. Um, so many horses, and this is not a criticism of them. It just they skew the numbers, and, well, and it like makes said, it makes everyone else horses. look doesn't that we, we you don't look as good because you just simply can't. Um, they've got uh, ten horses to one or eight horses to one. Well, how you can't possibly win enough to stay in in the same stratosphere as them. But to me, Barkley Tag is is, is the consummate horseman. His horses always look good. You see them on the racetrack, and they look like you want your horses to look. They perform. How, he wins exactly. races, and but how, how the, many how many trainers do you know that would have had a nice horse like that going into Breeders' Cup and not flown it across the country to run the Breeders' Cup just around the Breeders' Cup? No, he, he has a plan, and I mean, and look what it did for him. When you talk about people, talk about. About this year's Triple Crown, and they want to kind of say, well, you know, should have an asterisk, blah, blah, blah. And I think it's really, if you you trained horses, Michelle's as a trainer, and, and I've trained horses, and you know how hard it is to keep a horse at its peak for two months, to think that he this Much horse less is six months, like he's done six, it's, it's eight. I mean, this horse started his, his year in January. Yeah, and, exactly. And to to stay at that level and and to get better, he's gotten better. I mean, his last race was just uh, was astoundingly good. He, he just it, it's hard to, to it's hard to say that anything could have gone better in the race that he could have run a better race he, he was essentially oh, eased in, in two minutes and, and know, change and, and actually when the belmont was coming up and he was sitting in florida waiting for this all to happen you know he and i discussed several times about the distance of the belmont and all that and i think he was sad i know i was extremely sad that it wasn't a two-turn mile and a quarter of belmont for the belmont stakes versus the one turn mile and eight and i was a tiny bit worried about that and that horse I mean, he couldn't have been any better there. And look how much better he was on Saturday. No, I mean, the, the, the mile and a half would not have been a problem for him at, at all. No, a mile and a half is not going to be a question for that horse. And I think so many people were, I, I saw a lot of commentary about, oh, it's not the real triple crown because the Belmont was short and it's all backwards. But I think it's harder. I think if he wins the triple crown, it's going to be done in a much more difficult fashion than had it been the regular half. In the spring, it, in it's it's certainly there. You can certainly make that case. And if the Belmont had been three eighths of a mile further against that field on that day, he'd have won by twenty lengths. Exactly, <laughs> he was getting further ahead. It wasn't like 
he was holding on. And that, and that's the thing. In his races, he, he runs through the wire. And, I mean, this race, he was, you know, Franco literally pulled him up um, because he was he was just so far, you know, he- ahead. The grabbed him. But um, it's not as though he's challenged in any way distance-wise. And uh, I don't know why people are so hung up on the mile-and-a-half distance because... And I get it. I get people like tradition, and I get that the the triple crown being three races in five weeks. It, it certainly is a challenge. But this is, like you said, this is a challenge too. And you have a horse like Art Collector, who who wouldn't have even who, who's you know shown out to be a really good horse. Um, he he he's a, he's a very very good horse, and, he, and he's got a really good trainer, and they're doing a great job, and they're coming in in my eyes as as the clear second choice. Well, if the Derby had been held under normal circumstances, that horse would would not have even I don't think would would have qualified for it. So no, and look at look at all the horses that are not still around. Right. Look at all the horses that were there and not still here. Right. And listen, winning winning two races in a row is hard. Winning very hard. You won four this year. Winning four, then then it'd be five, then maybe six. And and I, I said to Tom earlier, I, I think he's the best horse in the country. I, I said if you put him in a in a starting gate, going a mile and an eighth, going a mile and a quarter, especially against anyone, I don't. I would take him over any other horse that it's in training currently. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. I heard you guys discussing that. I totally agree. And you know it's funny, like you talk about Barkley as, as a worker, and Barkley is a worker, and Barkley's in his eighties, and you would think that maybe he would slow down, and he doesn't ride out, you know, he, he doesn't get on the pony as much as he used to, but um, he's on the pony with there, that one every there's, day. There's, um, you know, in in this job that I had taken, I was, uh, I spent a lot of time in a lot of different people's barns. That you know, when you're training horses, you spend 95 percent of your time in your own barn or at the track watching your horses train. And, exactly. And this gave me an opportunity to, to 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 you know to hang out with a little bit. And and Barkley's not an easy person to hang out with in the morning because he's he's very focused. And you know, when you're up there at the trainer stand watching, he'll he'll, he'll talk to you. And you know, we joke around, but but um, there was two guys that are back at the barn in the afternoons consistently. And I understand a lot of the bigger trainers run a lot, so they're they're at the races. But Shug McGahee and, and, and uh, Barkley Tag, almost every time I came around in the afternoon, they were there. And it's it's just uh, it's just kind of the, those guys are remnants of a, of a bygone era where things aren't just numbers and... Um, being there, seeing things it means something, and the numbers that they train are, um, they're training almost all their own horses. They're not, uh, they don't have a string six hours away that they virtually never, ever see. And that's, again, this isn't a criticism of the big outfits. They they do it. They're very successful. The guys are doing great. They're winning tons of races. and um, It's just sometimes... You know the old ways might be a little. You kind of you kind of miss that. And I'll be honest. I, and this is kind of an indictment of of trainers these days in general. I see barns people that win that do pretty well that don't have a single bandage on their horse. They don't even have poultice on them. They bed them on uh, an inch of shavings. 
their hay is, you know, not, doesn't look like it's, it's the good stuff. And right. the barns, um, I don't want to sound like an old fogey or anything, but back in the day when the horses were divided up a little better, you had more quality barns. Now it's gotten to be so much of the haves and have-nots. And a lot of these guys, and a guy told me one time, he goes, well, you know, not everybody could work for Alan Jerkins and Nick Zito. And I said, yeah, I know, I get it. I, I had a really fortunate uh, upbringing in this business. I was very fortunate to work for the guys I did. And and I mean, I, I worked for a wide variety of people, too. I mean, I, I worked for D. Wayne Lucas. Uh, I worked for Nick Zito. I worked for um, Tommy Skiffington, who, who, who kind of was... Uh, a turf barn before we had turf barns. Uh, I worked for exactly. Pete, I worked for Pete Ferriola at, at Aqueduct when he was the the leading trainer in New York, and we were claiming two and three and four horses every single day. And every one of them, I, I learned something new from every one of them. Uh, Lucas, you, you, he showed me, and, and Jeff was there. I, I worked under Jeff. the 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 power of organization, of making sure that. Everybody was on the same page all the time. Everything was plotted out, and everything was uh, organized. And we didn't, you know, we couldn't miss things. You can't miss things. You have to do this every day, very regimented. Uh, working for Tommy Skiffington, we had a lot of European horses that had to be trained different. We learned a lot about. Um, I learned a lot about horses' feet. He had uh, two really good blacksmiths, Ray Amato. Junior and and uh, Jim Bays, and and I learned a lot about about the differences between how horses are shod in Europe and horses are shod in this country. Um, when when I worked for um, Nick Zito, we we concentrated. I mean, the barn was concentrated on three year olds. This was he was looking to get derby horses, and every once in a while we get a turf horse <laughs> or so. But it, it was very much. It, orientated to peak in the, the the spring in the summer in the fall and then kind of you know the winter was to get the two-year-olds ready and and give the other horses a break and 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 then when i worked for pete pete Ferriola, uh it was totally different in that he had almost all claiming horses and we had almost no maids no young horses and i found that you don't have to train horses seven days a week that a lot of times backing off on them, um, especially the ones that have been running, uh, you don't need to do a lot with them. He he did a lot of jogging. He had a lot of horses exactly. pony and and um, you know that everybody does things differently. And then when I worked for the chief, obviously it, there was um, he does something he does things so much differently than everyone else did. And it took a it took a while when I when I first started working for him. I'd be trying to figure things out, and he wasn't the type of guy that you could go up and say, "Why do I do this?" And you know, he'd give you answers like, "Well, why not?" Or you know, exactly. because. Um, this, uh, I have it, a feeling he and Barkley have a lot of the same. I didn't know him and his training, but I have a feeling they're very similar. You know, him and Barkley were really good friends, and um, exactly that's how I met him. I met him with Barkley, and right. that's one of the last things he said to me: "Please, please, please, work on this and get him into the Hall of Fame." And, and Barkley, you know, he he does he, he gets into the heads of the, every horse he's got, and he knows every horse. I, I I've been standing at the rail, and, and the horses have come out, and, and who's that? And he, you know, grumble. Ah, 
it's this this three year old filly I can't get her right. You know, she just she doesn't want to eat. She doesn't want to do this, but she can run. I know she can run. I just got to get her right. I just got to figure her out. You know, Robin does a good job of a, but he's um he knows every horse and uh, and and his I horses run. They you. show up. He doesn't have a lot of horses that run tenth by fourteen lengths and then ninth by eighteen lengths. I mean, no, he's, exactly. He's particular about it and uh, he's old school and and. To me, he's he's certainly done enough, and and uh, you know the Hall of Fame shouldn't just be about numbers. It should also be about people who are masters at their craft, and he certainly is. And this, this, this can't just be about numbers. No. I mean, there numbers are matter. People that are in there that he is more deserving than. But I have to tell you a funny story. So when my father was failing horribly with Alzheimer's, I had a two-year-old filly that was in Ocala, getting ready to, you know, be in birth and getting ready to run, and he decided to take her to Palmetto's. So she was in at Saratoga as a two-year-old that, that summer, and I went up, and he wouldn't let me see her before she ran because he said she would think that she was going home with me, and she would not have her mind on her business. He would not let me go near her. It was so funny. That's how old-school a horseman he is. No, he's, um... He, he really is, uh... I mean, there's there's not that many people that um, that I root for as, as much as I do root for him, and, and uh, I really hope that uh, that he that he's able to, to complete this, and um, you know, this will be the culmination of, of his career. Um, you know, it just so worth- do I. As out of a year as twenty twenty has been with everything, I, I just you know just pray that this happens for him, even if it's you know kind of messed up and wrong order and very odd way of the whole year with the triple crown and all the races but um hopefully he gets it done and hopefully we can get him on that nomination list and get him in yeah absolutely and and i I would be i would be perfectly willing to put together a presentation to speak to people to do anything uh, to get yeah, others, anything that, anything that you could do to help. I mean, I, I, think I know it's kind of like Tom Law was willing to. It, it, I could tell it kind of resonated with him when you said it. Um, it clicked with him a little bit because I didn't. I didn't realize he was one of the ones on the committee. Because I don't know who the list is of that first tier of people that actually goes through the list to get the list generated of who they're going to send out. Yeah, it seems. Like, it seems like a process, like picking the pope, where you got to wait outside and. See if the white smoke comes out or the dark smoke comes out, and you know sometimes in racing we make things a little more difficult than they need to be. But uh, but no, hopefully I, you're right. Hopefully he wins the triple crown, and tis the law. I mean, in my mind, he is the best horse in the country, like you you had said, and hopefully that's enough to propel him onto that list and get the vote and get him in for 2021. Yeah, and the, you know the triple crown looms such it looms so large over the sport it casts such a great shadow that i don't know all the people that vote for these awards especially the eclipse awards um and the triple crown races seem to have a little more well i shouldn't say seem to have a little more they have a lot more sway in over voters because of the popularity of them and the fact that he's done well in in the in the limited chances that he's been involved with triple crown type horses really helps his chance. And 
if he were to win the triple crown, I, I think his his I think the momentum of of that would be enough to do it. And and I think he deserves it anyways. And and uh, that's uh, you know that's just the way I feel. And and I, I know uh, you know not everyone agrees. And 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 listen. Disagreement is what the sport is was based upon. My horse is faster than yours. No, mine's faster than yours. Okay, let's put them on the racetrack and see. So you know this. It's not as though I expect everybody just to toe the line and say, "Oh, you're 100 percent right." But but I think if you look at his career overall and and you look at the quality of his wins and you consider and this matters the number of horses he trains. If you're going to do counting stats. And you're going to say, well, he's only won uh, 20 grade one races. Out of how many potential horses? Exactly. And that, that, that's something and that, I agree to, with that you. matters. And, I, and, of course, I'm very prejudiced that he should be on the list. I find it af- absolutely hard to believe that he had never made the, the final list when I spoke to Brian. I was, I was astounded that he, had, you know, that he had been kind of wavering on the edge and never made the final list when he explained to me how the whole process worked. And and maybe also if he went to Triple Crown and since it's later in the year, this list is generated in January, maybe it's more on everybody's mind because of how bad this year had been. You know, maybe maybe that does push things a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I think... Uh... I, I think he said there are 17 people that make the final nomination list, and obviously Tom Law is one of those. Um, and maybe we could find out who else is on that list. We'll shake them down. Um, we'll go knock on their door. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or have them on your show. Maybe we should have them on your show again. <laughs> You're required to be on the show. We're going to grill you about Barkley Tag. You're going to either nominate him or or, or we're going to um, say bad things about you. <laughs> exactly. You, you know, it's funny. I used to tease Barkley. Well, I still do. But, um... I, 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 one day we were standing at the gate waiting for horses to come back there, and and I said to Barkley, I said he was complaining about how hot it was, and um, I said, you know, it is Florida, yeah. And I said, well, what about that year you stayed up in Pennsylvania for the winter? And he was like, what are you talking about? I never stayed in Pennsylvania for the winter. I was in Maryland. Or I, was, I said, no, that one year, um, you know, you you were working for George Washington at Valley Forge. Ah, F you, Chuck. You'll get old, too, someday. <laughs> oh, man, I got, I got him good that day. He, he still he shakes his head, you know, he just shakes his head. But, uh, and he, you know, listen, he, he can be he can be short, he can be a little bit curmudgeonly, but uh, that shouldn't matter. And, uh, he can be cantankerous. Yes, but uh, can't can't we all? But, um, but you know, uh, he's got a really, really good horse. He's one of the finest people I've ever known in my life. I can tell you that. I put him way up there. Yeah, for sure. You'd probably be embarrassed we're talking so much about him. But uh, that's that's just the way it goes. But um, thank you. We'd get that little grin. We'd get that little grin with his little cute little chuckle that he does. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Uh, cute and Barkley were never like two words I associated with each other, but uh, but you're a chick, so you know you can say those kind of things. But um, Michelle, I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate you calling in, and uh, and I appreciate you working on this. Anything you can do to help is greatly appreciated. I just think it's funny that the guys like Mark Hennigan and Dallas Stewart, who, who aren't exactly like you know out of touch guys, uh, I mean these are. 
you know, big trainers who, who are socially act, you know, uh, they're on social media, they they pay attention they watch all the races and, and, and they, they were like incredulous that Barkley tag wasn't already in all fame. Like, what do you mean he's not on the all of fame? It's like, no, he hasn't even been nominated. Isn't it interesting that people don't realize it? Yeah, it's uh, it's funny, but uh, I had I Brian. Mean, he's clearly, he's clearly been looked over. Yes, you know when he's been on that final that final list, he's clearly been looked over for the last however many times, how many years. I mean, it's been seventeen years since Sunnyside. Yeah, time flies. Well, anyways, Michelle. I, I mean, and, and his next horse was showing up that he ran in the Derby the year Barbaro, but he went on to be a phenomenal turf horse. Yeah, he he's uh he's a million dollar earner. So, Michelle, thank you again for for uh, for calling Thanks, in, Jeff. and um, we'll try to get uh, we'll try to get him in this time. All right, and let's hope we do. Thank that, you. That's all the time we have today on Going in Circles Live. Thank you to Tom Law. Thank you to Michelle Sharp, and we will be back next week at the same time. Thank you very much. Bye. This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman. Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com and log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here-